I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, uh, You may be able to hear uh, alongside me, I'll introduce him before I introduce myself, such as uh, the importance of his special guest appearance. This is Jonathan Liu. Say hello. Hi. Um... I'm going to leave the fan on. I turned it off yesterday because I thought it would improve the recording quality, but um, it's quite hot, so um, enjoy that. Um, I'm Ed Malian. This is the World Cup Daily. Uh, the day is Saturday. About, yeah. yeah, Saturday. And the round of 16 gets underway today. In about three hours, Johnny and I will be leaving for the airport to go to Kazan for France-Argentina, an absolute blockbuster of a game. A little bit, little bit less than that, really. I'd, I'd say... Maybe leave it three, so two two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, um, which uh, includes podcast editing time. So uh, that'll be a nice one hour sleep. Uh, and then after that is Uruguay Portugal. Critch will be taking care of that one down in uh, Sochi, uh, and that promises to be. I mean, I think they're both going to be special. Uruguay Portugal could be special for all the wrong reasons, um, but it is two teams that I believe have a chance of of going all the way to the final. Um, I'm not sure if one of them could. Which one am I talking about? Find out later. Um, so, um, I should also warn you that Miguel Delaney will be arriving back from the airport at any moment. So, uh, there may be an interruption. Uh, but we will take that in our stride. He also sent us uh, his thoughts earlier on, on the last 16, previewing all of the games. Uh, so, what I'll do is I'll, I'll play those now so you can have a little listen. And Johnny and I will be back to discuss Saturday's games. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm in Kaliningrad Airport. About to leave this exclave 
after uh, about 72 hours here, so maybe a bit less than that. Um, maybe to give a little bit of uh, cultural analysis rather than uh, the football. Um, it's quite a curious place, Kilingrad, I have to say. Um, and maybe almost more interesting for the fact that it's, without being harsh in the place, maybe of all the venues I've been to, the one I would come back to last, or would least like to come back to, should I say. Um, it's a curious, curious place. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, I, I presume most of the listeners know the history, basically, is a yeah, former German medieval town that was that, uh, held out against the um, the Red Army in the war for three months. So basically the communists decided to kind of raise it to the ground. Um, but they, they kept control, uh, even though it's, a, it's an exclave uh, in between, an exclave on the other side of the, of the Baltics. Uh, so basically that Ru- uh, Russia has access to the Baltic Sea and the, uh, the coast there, um, which is, that, that was the reason it was, it was kept. Uh, but bits of it are still recognizably German. Um, and it's got, it's, quite, it's got quite a German culture. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it's quite sad, the centre really, because it just, it's just central park around the main cathedral, which has clearly been restored, and where Kant's, Emmanuel Kant's tomb is, who lived there all his life, uh, formerly known as Konigsberg. Um, and that's, that's basically in the middle of a park where the centre of Konigsberg used to be. So, and that park has, it's quite, it's quite poignant, a lot of signs all around the area, basically showing photos of the streets that used to be there. Um, they've tried to recreate a bit of the old kind of Prussian-German vibe uh, by, by building modern, um, modern houses and, and, and constructions that resemble that style. But it does make it look a bit kind of almost um, Disneylandish because it feels like a bit of a film set because it, it's, ultimately it's, it's not the real thing, it's a reconstruction. Um, but it's, it's, quite, it's quite a curious place. Um, but so this is its, it's this is its last um, its last game here. I mean, it's almost you can feel a bit of the loneliness about the place because obviously it does it hasn't got any last sixteen games. Um, we might, sorry, I thought they were just calling my name out there. <laughs> they, they weren't. I'm not going to miss it. I hope. Uh, otherwise, another twenty four hours here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it doesn't have any last 16 games, and there was a little bit of a feel of kind of an end of the party to place last night, which is quite odd, given that we are obviously in the middle of the World Cup, uh, and some might say the real business is about to start get, get going. Uh, as regards that, I think th- I've, ri- I've written this in a piece today, but I think the key, with the key question with the tournament now, is this issue of none of the hosts convincing. And it's, it's, it's gone from something that's a curiosity to maybe something that could condition and define the whole tournament. But the question is basically this, I suppose. Can any of the top teams get good enough, quick enough to, you know, assert their authority? Or is that too soon? Or is there a chance for, for underdogs or kind of slightly lesser sides? And I suppose you include that England and Croatia to take advantage. Um, I've discussed in the piece today and the various reasons for it. I mean, one theory has been that... Uh, the big teams are kind of they could most of their preparation centers in actually the latter stage when, when games get more difficult rather than the more forgiving group stage or what, what had been the more forgiving group stage because they think that their talent will carry them through and um, that would prove dangerous particularly germany if that's the case it's something that the danish manager aggie harida believes as well well others suppose 
like Dejan Lovren made the point, it's just you know the intensity of some of the lesser sides at a at a tournament like this. They they give everything. And maybe that that caught a few of the sides, the bigger sides, off guard. Uh, but also, this is too, I mean, Gary Cahill says it in his in his quotes tonight about how he you know he recognised from his time with Chelsea that there is an element of just getting the job done and getting through regardless of how you play, and that has happened with some of the big teams, everyone apart from Germany. I think they will. I think the the change circumstances will bring better out of some of the top sides. Um, and I would ex- I expect them to kick on. Uh, and I, I, I mean, that's exactly... I mean, the last World Cup that was close to this was 2002. Although even there, Brazil were convincing at the start of, this tur- at the start of that tournament in the way no one has been here. Um, that was the last time something like this happened and it ended up with, with Brazil themselves winning the title and, and the classic final of Brazil-Germany. Um, Germany going, I suppose, is interesting as well, beyond the, the seismic events of it, because I think it's a psychological weight off so many teams. I mean, if you think beyond even the kind of lesser sides left, if you look at the main sides, there are at least four of them that have this kind of complex about this historical complex about the German national football team. That's England, we know too well, 1990, 96, all the rest of it, 2010. Brazil, the 7 1, we saw the reaction there. Argentina have lost two finals to them. Um, France, I mean, okay, they beat them in the 2016 semi finals, but the good of that and their own neurosis with Germany was almost undone by the fact they then went and lost the final uh, to Portugal. But now the Germans are gone, that kind of that clears the path in, in another way. And maybe that'll be one of these issues that emboldens some of these better sides. But it's, um, it's, it's, I, th- I, th- I think that's the defining issue to determine now, whether any of the good sides can kick on to the level of I, I still suspect that Spain are the most capable of that. It was actually pointed out to me today that Spain are the only side in the tournament to come from behind four times. Uh, and I think that could feed into them growing into it as well. And so to France-Argentina, um, it is a meeting of two sides that I think we can fairly say have underwhelmed thus far. France, um, I think we made the point earlier this week that they're the, one of the few contenders that haven't had a big story around them, kind of a big storyline surrounding them, derailing them or whatever, but they also haven't shone, which you know becomes a story in its own right, I mean, you've got Argentina, who have been a complete basket case, but, you know, the, the wheels fell off, but they seem to have kind of, if they're not fully back on, they've kind of wedged them back on, and, and there are at least a couple of screws in there holding them together, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, France are a funny one, really, because they um, have not, well, we, it's tempting to say they haven't shown us what their best is, but it, it's, it's hard to know whether they're sort of building to a crescendo, or, you know, keeping their powder dry, or whether this, this is their level. Um, whereas Argentina have had, you know, had such a roller coaster over the last what seven, ten days, that it's really hard to know which Argentina is going to turn. Basically, we don't know. I don't. I certainly don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, do you? Do you know what's going to happen? Uh, no, but that's kind of why I'm so looking forward to it because there there's a huge range of outcomes. How much would it surprise you if if France won this game three or or four nil and, and completely sliced this aging and and pretty average Argentina defence uh, like open all game and how much would it surprise you if it was the other way and, and this limp France team got beaten 3-0 by you know one Messi won the goal a brilliant piece of skill from Benega or something and then a penalty you know everything in between also seems possible it, as long as as long as they both keep their heads it could be a classic game I think it's it's quite possible that, that like you say France maybe score an early goal or and then and Argentina get into the sort of funk they, they got in against Croatia and threatened to do against Nigeria and just can't string two passes together and, and it ends up being a bit of a cruise. But if if they're both on it, if there's if there's kind of enough 
kind of resolve and gumption left in in both of them to actually to really go at each other and if if it stays if it stays tight um then it, it could really be one of those sort of humdinging last 16 like one of a classic last 16 game really this is this is probably as, as good a last 16 game as you could possibly hope for um and so i, I think I, I, i'm less concerned about france in that respect in that i think they will you know i think they'll turn up at least um whether they'll have enough to deal with with a fully firing messi if he decides to if he decides to show us what he can do um you know th- that's another matter but I, I have i've got more faith in france to to kind of hold it together but if they both hold it together we could we could be in for we could be in for a real classic i think when it became clear that if i you know if argentina got through because that was not that was not obvious but if argentina got through they would be playing france and then we had the potential for brazil germany it was kind of two games that could easily have been semi-finals or a final turning up in the round of 16 which is why we're kind of so excited for this. I mean, has there been a better, you know, on paper, a better last 16 in, in recent history? I remember Holland, Portugal, England, Argentina in 98. But what, I mean, England, Argentina in 98, I think, uh, had that feeling to it. Uh, Miguel's probably a better place to answer just because he's got that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that incredible memory of, of random games that, that no one can think about. Um, Spain, Portugal, 2010, which, which was underwhelming, in, in, a little bit underwhelming in the end. Was it 2010, Spain, Portugal? Uh, and, and that. Yeah, I well, think Portugal finished second in, in Brazil's group and then uh and Spain won one nil and, and and it wasn't quite you know but but on paper that, that was you know, that was probably the biggest in recent years and and it's it's kind of up there. The thing that I like about this is so often when the stakes get raised, you know, what we've had it surprisingly, you know, there there, are, there were columns and I remember reading a column that predicted this was gonna be awful defensive football. In, in the way that Euro 2016 was because of the way international football was going and as it turns out we had 1-0-0 in the entire group stage I think that was 48 games um, and we saw quite a lot of attacking football actually and like even the teams that, um, that you'd expect to go out early like Morocco played some really good stuff um, and now you're looking at the round of 16 and, and the quarterfinals and traditionally this is where teams start locking up a little bit and they start playing a bit more conservatively but with Jorge Sampaoli uh, and the fact that Argentina's uh, defence is kind of held together by like, Pritstick. Do you think that th- this game can't possibly be defensive? Because there's one team in Argentina that, that just can't win the game if they play like that. And uh, Didier Deschamps, I think uh, like his natural instinct is going to be to try and, and that front three, which he hasn't quite worked out who he wants to play there, like will Giroud play, will he try with what seemed to be his first choice front three of Griezmann, Dembele and Mbappe, which is fluid and exciting but doesn't necessarily have a reference point. Do we think that this could be a humdinger purely because uh, both sides actually might go for it? It's, it's a test of nerve for Deschamps. I mean, this is, this is not... You know, this is true of basically any team that comes up against uh, you know, Messi, Higuain, uh, all the talent they have on, on the bench. Do you, do you dare try and take the game to them? Or do you, do you really try and deny them space first and then and then see what you can get on you know on, on the counterplay it's um if if france do go for it i think that you know they they clearly got the tools to to really hurt that argentina defense which has been really you know quite quite severely hurt at times during this tournament and so if france can hold their nerve and if they you know if if they dare to 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 really try and get at that argentinian defense there's a lot of they can you know they could get a lot of joy there Pogba, uh, Pogba in midfield, Griezmann, um, 
uh, you know, Mbappe, possibly Giroud if, if if he starts. There's there's enough tools there to to fashion chances and to you know to score goals essentially. But it's it's really a case of you know do they do they want that enough? The game could well be decided. I do think the Argentina defence is obviously the weakest unit in the entire game. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Javier Mascherano partially because he kind of um, took over as coach a little bit uh, in many ways uh, partially because he's had a couple of pretty ropey games um, and you know he finished that last game kind of bloodied in, in the sort of you know, the traditional hero way and, and we think this is just an English thing it's not it's not it, it, every country kind of values that fighter attitude the warrior and uh, Argentina is no different and at the end of that game with blood streaming down his face um but the reality was he was bloody awful as well. So you're looking at his role in the team, and he's up against N'Golo Kante, who might be one of the most underrated players in the tournament so far because he's bailed France out so many times. He covers so much ground, um, and he constantly is putting out fires. And I think if him and Mascherano are up against each other in the centre of the park, and it depends on kind of how high each side plays and stuff as to whether how much they, whether those two have contact with each other really or not they might just be 30 40 yards apart the whole time if they come into contact then Kante's going to run rings around the guy because Mascherano can't move that well and Kante covers so much ground um well, the alternative i think is that Kante could maybe even be put on Messi uh, which would be interesting because Kante has the stamina he has the legs and he has the awareness to track someone like Messi and we've seen teams try to deal with Messi in all sorts of different ways before um, but if you're going to pick a man to try and kind of follow him around is N'Golo Kante not the sort of player you, you think about or would you be worried about inhibiting him in his more natural game well if Argentina do as you know as some of the rumours coming out of, of training today that if Messi is going to play as a, as a false nine which is you know apparently what, what they were doing with training I think you were saying that you know that that pretty does that pretty much does put him up against up against Kante. Uh, you know he's he's almost made for that role, but it, but you you can't. It, it takes more than one guy to stop Messi if he yeah, if he if he really doesn't want to be stopped. It's going to have to be a team effort, and and you know not not to bring this back to Pogba, but he's going to have to do a role as well. Um, and so I I just I think France will. France will be desperate not to concede first. They'll be they'll be desperate not to concede early. I mean, they they had a they had a really good team in, in Brazil four years ago, and they, they conceded an only goal against Germany in a quarterfinal. Boom, that was it. They couldn't. I mean, and, and they could they couldn't get you know, they couldn't get back. I think what they'll what they'll try and rely on is frustrating Argentina for long enough that eventually the gaps start to open up, and and you know that's when Kante can come into it. That's when Matuidi, if he if he plays, can come into it. That's where you know Fakir, whether whether he starts or whether whether he comes on as a sub, as a sub, that that's where they can that's where they they can start making inroads. But I, I expect you know at the start, I, I expect both teams to, to kind of feel each other out a little bit. You know, and, and as Critch wrote wrote the other day, you know Messi does tend to spend the first sort of ten fifteen minutes of the game just kind of sniffing and, and you know probing and, and and just kind of taking the temperature. Um, so it might, it might well be one of those games that, that, that sort of that burns slowly and then as soon as something happens a lot of things could happen very quickly I think it's interesting if he plays Matuidi or, or Tolisso it kind of tells you straight away what sort of yeah. what his plan is for the yeah. game if he plays the, the passer essentially in Tolisso um, 
then that's kind of you, you think the way they're going to try and do it is splitting that defence which has got holes in it with a very impressive front line I, I, I was looking at the squads and the France squad is I think just the strongest deepest squad here and yet I don't have them among the four favourites that, that, really? no I don't know I think Brazil, I think Brazil will win it uh, still I, I said that from the start and, and I think they've got a great combo of, of incredibly strong and deep squad and uh, a good coach I think Spain uh, are probably second I, I think probably Belgium I'd have Belgium as, as third I just don't remember if I've gotten any glaring team here but no I'd probably and then fourth I, I, I prefer Argentina to, to France because I think uh, Messi can do anything Basically, I, I think he is capable of masking the flaws in this team, and I think they, I think they bottomed out already. I know it's easy to say that, but I think they, they had their real kind of staring in the mirror moment when you've got the players talking to the coach and they're trying to work out an entire new system because the previous one just hadn't worked. Um, but I think that was their kind of turning point. If they lose to France, you know. That that isn't their Nadir because the Nadir was obviously getting smashed by Croatia mm. and, and failing to beat Iceland. But losing to France isn't a surprise because France are that good a team. But I don't think Didier Deschamps uh, is a good enough coach to get that team, the, the France team, to win the World Cup. And this could be embarrassing in like three weeks' time. But because they don't look like a team that can self-manage either, and they are a team that's traditionally traditionally been quite factional. So. Do we think that Deschamps can unite them? Do we think he can get the most out of their talent? Do we think that he can lead them? Because he's not shown evidence in any of those three facets so far. Well, they've not... I mean, they may not be like totally united, but they seem to have... Well, they seem to have held it together. I mean, like you said, they've been, there's, not been, there's not been too many stories out of the camp. And I think the fact that they've had it so kind of boringly easy in, in their group has, has, has sort of helped in that respect. I mean, if they do go on and win it, they'll have had to. Well, they'll have had to have beaten Argentina, probably Uruguay or Portugal, then probably Brazil, then probably Spain. I mean, that, that, that's a that's a hell of a way to do it. Um, and I don't. I, I think they'll have enough for Argentina. I don't think Argentina are good enough. I just don't. But I think that's a that's a big mountain for them to climb. And I don't see enough. I don't see enough in them in or, or in Deschamps to to give me confidence that they can go all the way they do have the hard the hard route to to the World Cup final and possibly winning it and as I say I just don't trust them enough to not get derailed along that that's why I think I think England are more likely to be in the World Cup final than, than France no 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 no, no. You, don't, you don't agree with that no I mean France are better than England Yes, but that's not what I'm saying. And, and that's France not what I'm know, saying. France know what they France also know what they're doing. I mean, I, like before the tournament, I, I went I went for a France Spain final, and despite the fact that France have kind of you know landed themselves a, a, a bit of a prickly draw here, they've still more than got the capability. France could get to the final without playing that well. I mean, winning it is a, is a, is a different matter, um, but they have they have a, the, the squad of players to do it. Whereas Argentina, I mean. It, can one player really win you a World Cup anymore? I mean, even in even in, in eighty six, you know, there, there was a there was a decent team there, kind of a limited but but very decent and and hard working team, you know, elevated by one amazing player. What what we've got here is really quite a dysfunctional team that is being almost raised to the level of competence. And and you know, against Nigeria, that that's all they were. They, they were competent 
for just long enough by by an excellent player. So I mean, do, are they not going to have to show a, a lot more in order to you know in order to to convince anybody that they've got they've got what it takes to go all the way? Argentina, you're yeah, Argentina. About. I think like the thing with Argentina, as I say, is I just think this is going to be a lot more settled than what you've seen so far. Um, I do think that now everything's calmed down a little that they've been able to focus on the game itself and, and, and everything that comes with it this will be the first team that have actually tried to beat Argentina mm. I mean like Croatia even basically the Croatia game flipped on that first goal after that the, the, like, the Argentines completely fell apart and I think if France go ahead uh, and Argentina have to push on then Argentina are in all sorts of trouble because if they're exposed to that and Griezmann you know I say France haven't played that well but Griezmann has I was at the France-Denmark game which was atrocious but Griezmann was the only player on the pitch there who did anything and, and looked like a, an elite footballer he constantly drifts into areas and makes things happen that no one else does um, and his tournament hasn't really sparked into life yet but his play hasn't really yet got the rewards that it deserves so it wouldn't surprise me at all if he absolutely pasted like Tagliafico or, or Mercado uh, and came up with goals and assists against Argentina. I think uh, Dembele disappointed. That's why he got dropped after the first game. And Mbappe's, you know, a very good player. I, you know, I completely believe in him. But Griezmann has looked to cut above for them. Griezmann and Kante are the ones um, that I think came out of the group stage with the most credit. If it goes to penalties, who do you fancy? If it goes to penalties. Probably France. I don't know. The thing about the Argentines is, it's is too much passion a, a blessing or a curse, you know? Or like, is is having all of that passion? Is it too much? When is it too much? Um, because when does it cloud your judgment? When does it make you make bad decisions? Do you want to be taking a penalty when your heart rate is going 100 miles an hour, or do you want it when you're kind of you're at a very relaxed sort of pace? Um, I don't know. Who who do you think? I mean, I think the mental and physical tiredness could could play a part. I mean, France rested, you know, what five or six players against um, against Denmark, and so a lot of them will have will have had a rest. It'll be it'll be a hot, it's going to be a hot day in Kazan tomorrow. Like it's it's right right in the centre of Russia, right you know the the, the Tatarstan region. Middle of the day. Middle of the day, uh, you know, twenty eight twenty nine degrees. If they go for one hundred and twenty minutes, Argentina having only played Christ, what was it three, three days ago? Uh, three days. Well, it'll be four four days. Um, Going for 120 minutes with all the, the kind of the emotional strife that they've been going under, that would probably lead me towards France. And it's the oldest, the oldest squad, I think, uh, in the competition as well, on average age. And the, the average age of the starting lineup uh, against Nigeria is 29.9. Um, so it doesn't bode well. You're right, I guess, in that sense. Um, we should probably talk about Uruguay-Portugal which is also a very good round of 16 game and, and it's who the winners of France-Argentina will play as well uh, I basically think these are two naturally conservative teams uh, who have organised solid defences difference makers up front and midfield that midfields that look good on paper but have underwhelmed in actual performances so far mm. um, two teams that would both probably prefer to play without the ball mm. um, and thus, I find this one really hard to pick a winner. Yeah, it could be, it could be horrible. I mean, let, let's face it, it could be horrific. I think, you know, Uruguay, I mean, they haven't conceded a goal yet in the tournament. Uh, is it 1-0? One 1-0 nil, one nil against, 
1-0 against Saudi Arabia, 1-0 against Egypt, you know, keep some powder dry, lads. Um, and, and obviously Santos, you know, likes to keep men behind the ball. Um, so if neither of them fancy, you know, venturing out, uh, it could be one of those. I mean, one of the worst games I ever saw, you know, in, in, in the latter, you know, in the latter stages of a major tournament was Portugal against Croatia, who, who by no means are, are a conservative team at, at the Euros two years ago, and it was. Just, I mean, I don't remember it. It was, it was absolutely hot. Like Quaresma scored a, they, they, there was a breakaway in like the hundred nineteenth, hundred twentieth minute, and Quaresma scored, and that was literally the only thing that had happened in a, in a, in a hundred twenty minutes. I don't want to, I don't want to write it off, but it could be one of those, and the like. The only thing that could that could really liven that up is, is an early goal and, and obviously you're looking at Ronaldo you're looking at Uruguay from set pieces um, but you know it, it's more it's more like you're looking of look, you're looking for ways that game could be broken open because you're sort of assuming it's going to be fairly closed from the start it's one of those where it feels so much like a 1-0 yeah. um, but then it's also uh, say there's a goal in the first half and the other team has to come on and, and attack the other one then the team that gets the equaliser always feel like they're the most likely to win then because in knockout games maybe you start making substitutions that are a bit more defensive minded and then you, you're kind of retreating into your shell it's one of those those great things of you know there are people that argue there is no such thing as momentum um, and it's about mindset and it's about kind of if if you go ahead and it's like right our goal is to see this game out defensively so when you concede you failed in your objective and then your mindset is very much different to the team it's like right we've got this goal you know we are we are moving in this direction um and i think with these two sides it might be more pronounced just because they're so naturally conservative that that said portugal have not been as defensively excellent as as you know, they were in France two years ago. I mean, Spain basically scored against them at will. Yeah. Iran could really have beaten them. Morocco could have as Morocco well. Morocco could have beaten them. And I mean, they're they're clearly not as good as they were two years ago. Um, you know, Pepe is 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 he is he what he was? Probably not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So you know, if if that's what they're relying on, then. Maybe Uruguay will fancy that. Maybe, maybe Uruguay won't mind that, given the given the power they've got up front. The the Uruguay midfield is something that I've, I really wanted to be good because it was all these young players that have come through their system and it hasn't lived up to expectations. The Portugal midfield it is like William Carvalho, Jean Moutinho, Jean Mario, Bernardo Silva, and then you know in different games he's tried Bruno Fernandes in there. He's tried Adrian Silva in there. But these nice are all little, um, nice little sort of softening of the S there. I noticed that. I noticed that. Even <laughs> if our listeners didn't, that was. Well, yeah, I, I do try, um, except obviously with with like you know most of the other names that we've actually po- pronounced on the podcast at any point. Um, that, but that Portuguese midfield is loads of really good players, like really genuinely. Like Bernardo Silva is is a brilliant player, and Jean Moutinho is a brilliant player, and yeah, these guys have all basically been very poor and I refuse to believe that they've all collectively just decided you know this is a time for bad form there's something wrong with how Fernando Santos is, is organising that midfield or, or asking that midfield to play and I guess he would say it's worked so far because their job is to get the ball to Cristiano and he scores the goals or whatever and we haven't conceded a ton of goals but I think the defence you're right uh, Pepe and Jose Fonte is, is not 
the most uh, mobile or or even good centre back partnership. Um, Guerrero and Cedric, the fullbacks, aren't I think playing to the level that they were two years ago. And let's remember, I mean, they weren't quite Greece 04, but they won one game in that entire Euro 2016 in 90 minutes. That was against Wales in the semi-final. Who, let's face it, are minnows. Oh, Wales. They're Wales. Um, although Wales has the same population as Uruguay. Uh, so there you go. Three million people. I didn't, I, so I didn't realise um, how small Uruguay was. It's really small. One of football's great overachievers. In Mexico, the great underachievers of world football. But Uruguay, a tiny little beautiful country of, of three million people, most of whom are in Montevideo uh, as well. Yeah, as soon as you get out of that, it's just pampas, just just vast expanses of grass, and very little else. No, they, they, they can't. I mean, grass can't play football. But no, no, it can't. Um, they famously had the the president Mujica, who uh, refused to take a salary and refused also to mi- live in the presidential mansion and just lived out on his farm. Uh, very recently, very liberal guy, legalized cannabis and stuff. Um, they were the biggest eaters of beef in the world per capita beating now Argentina wow. to, to second place and uh, just like Argentina I mean their culture is very similar to Argentina in terms of they like uh, mate and they like the steak stuff and, and their their footballing culture is almost identical it's all about fight and passion and grit and stuff but they can get away with it more because they're a small country that haven't got the resources in terms of human resources and also uh, financial that, that Argentina does but they you know they've won two World Cups and even in the modern era, they still continue to be competitive. I, I'm I'm not a fan of Montevideo, I have to say. A very dull place. I went I went when I was eighteen. It's got basically got like all of the all of the, the kind of the problems of, of Buenos Aires, but none of, none of the charm. It's quite dusty, as I, as I remember. Quite dusty. I, I was there in March, uh, and basically Montevideo is not the place to go. You want to go to Colonia, yeah, uh, Colonia. which is a nice little boat uh, boat ride across from Buenos Aires, or um, Punta del Este, which is basically the they call it the, like the Saint Tropez of South America, but it is nowhere near as nice as Saint Tropez. It's uh, it's a little peninsula beach resort, which is fine. Um, at which point we've gone wildly off topic, um, and uh, as I said, we do need to go to bed shortly <laughs> for an hour, and uh, we also need to hear about England from Jack Pitbrook, uh, who is in Rapino again. Is he back up there? No, um, oh god, he, uh, no, he he went to Rapino. And then came back to St. Petersburg, I think. So he's in St. Petersburg tonight. Uh, there have been a couple of travelling odysseys today. Miguel basically complained about having to sit in Kaliningrad all day waiting for a flight. Whereas, Johnny, you flew from Volgograd to Moscow, Moscow to St. Petersburg, yes. and then got the train from St. Petersburg back to Moscow because uh, they wouldn't let you cancel the second leg of your flight, otherwise you'd cancel your flight home to England. It is, you know, this is... But, but by by all means, kind of you know, press the fifteen second skip button if you if you if you, if you want to get through this. But yeah, if you because all, all my all my flights were were linked, I couldn't. You can't just not get on a flight. I I, I was in Moscow and I wanted to be in Moscow, but I had a ticket to send. At Petersburg what time this morning? At uh, eight eight or eight or nine this morning, and I you know, but you, but you can't just not get on the flight because they, they cancel all your other tickets. And I tried, and I said like, well, can I cancel? Just cancel that ticket. Yeah, no, you, you'll have. To, First of all, they told me I'd have to pay money to 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 basically vacate a seat that they were they were then going to sell on, and they said no, 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 it's not, it's not possible. So I had to fly all the way back to St Petersburg, then go to the station, then get a train to 
Moscow, at which point things started uh, taking a turn for the better because the, the, the four hour train, the bullet train from um, St. Peter's to Moscow is absolutely lovely. Uh, and so things are looking up. Uh, I, I am now, you know, I've, I've had a big KFC bucket for dinner and, you know, I've, I'll basically, I'll give the day six out of 10. Uh, Jack, I believe, went from Kaliningrad to Moscow to St. Petersburg, then had to get a taxi up to Rapino, get I think just to get some clothes. Then he's gone back to St. Petersburg tonight, and tomorrow morning he flies to Nizhny Novgorod for Croatia versus Denmark. I've, I've seen Jack's clothes. It was a wasted trip, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally would rather buy buy some clothes and do the extra, what, like, two-hour return journey to go and do that but anyway uh, that is our way of introducing Jack and his small <laughs> Sorry, section Jack. on England um, so hi Jack it's Ed in Moscow hi Ed it's Jack I'm in St Petersburg and I am missing the football already um, it's been a bit of a strange day as it has been for everyone really with no group matches I mean personally I flew back from Kaliningrad this morning to St Petersburg um, did a bit of work here then quickly went back to Repino where England weren't doing anything today um, to pick up some things and then came back to St. Petersburg because tomorrow morning I fly to Nizhny Novgorod via Moscow because uh, on Sunday night I'm going to Croatia against Denmark which I'm very excited about. I think that's going to be a great game. Uh, I haven't seen Croatia yet this tournament. I'm very excited to, to see how they play. I um, mean, you know, I've seen them on telly. I thought they were fantastic against Argentina. Um, it's always a pleasure to see Luka Modric play. And they are in that quite open side of the draw. I mean, Croatia are... what They would... Sorry, I'm just peeling through my diary here. They would likely play Spain in the quarterfinal in Sochi next Saturday evening. Um, and given what we've seen of Spain so far and their own vulnerabilities... We have to prepare for the fact that you know Croatia could be in the semi-finals. It's quite possible that Croatia would be playing England in a semi-final um, should England beat Colombia and then Switzerland or Sweden. So I'm tr- tremendously looking forward to that. And then um, I will go from there to Moscow on Monday in preparation for Colombia-England on Tuesday. Um, in terms of England, it's been a day... I mean, speaking personally, it's been a day when most England fans and England supporting sorry, England covering journalists, have been thinking about the wisdom or not of Gareth Southgate's decision last night. I mean, there's been so much debate about this. You know, was it arrogant of Southgate? Does he think that they will automatically beat Colombia and therefore get Switzerland and Sweden? Is it cowardly to avoid... You know, is it brave to face Colombia or is it cowardly to try and avoid facing Brazil? I mean, I think our, our good friend Jacob Steinberg tweeted about this and said, you know, people are just going around in circles. And I, said, I certainly think there's been a lot of... It's not, been, it's not been one of those debates where you feel like people are progressing kind of towards some great consensus and agreement. I think that everyone's got, everyone's got strongly held opinions which are actually not very different from one another. And um, there's an awful lot of noise and not much is really... Not much ground has been given on, on either side. Um, but it is a really interesting... I mean, maybe it's one of those topics we make too much of because we argue about the minutiae of the England team. Or maybe it is an interesting topic. I mean, what, as I've thought about it today, I think I'm reluctant, to, I'm reluctant to be too critical of Southgate. I know I was very critical of him last night for... Or rather, I was critical of the spectacle that his decision produced. I do absolutely understand his decision, and I would never, like... I, it's not, that I dis- it's not that I think he 
he made a miscalculation as such. I just wonder whether... I think he might have, like, misprioritized his, his values a bit. I also think that... And this is a point that kind of occurred to me through, through the day, and I wish I'd brought up yesterday evening. I kind of think that Southgate went against his own ethos by doing what he did, in the sense that the things that Southgate has always hammered are, like process ahead of results like we've got to get the process right and then we'll take you know the, we can't worry too much about the results because the sample size is so small in international football and the second is about freedom from fear and you know putting those two factors together you'd think that he should go and try and win every game and try and play Brazil and try and beat Brazil rather than what we've got which is this kind of like trying to cannily navigate his way along a slightly easier path um in a way which lots of people, including me, found so unsatisfying last night. I mean, the one thing we know about England is that, you know, these news cycles are increasingly small. Like, remember, Team Sheet Gate was only, like, a week ago, but now it feels, I mean, it feels like ancient history already. Um, and I'm sure that when the, you know, when the last 16 games start, we'll start talking about something else. But I do think that, I do think that, like, the, the prospect of England going out to Colombia given that Colombia could have been avoided. I mean, that is such a, a kind of open goal for Southgate critics that I'm sure we will not hear the end of this. You know, eight changes, Welbeck on instead of Kane, didn't last too long to make substitutions. All that, all that stuff, I think, will be kind of very, very present in all the sort of explanatory narratives if England do go out. I mean, we're now at this exciting stage of the World Cup where, on the one hand, you can start... You can start mapping out the quarterfinals and semifinals and where you have to be. But on the other hand, England might be flying home as early as Wednesday um, if, they lose, if they lose in Moscow on Tuesday night. Um, which is, I mean, for, for those of us here, it's, it's incredibly exciting. And certainly, I mean, for me personally, having not been at a World Cup before, and now all of a sudden we've got the last scene ahead of us. Um, but, I mean, for Southgate in England, as for all the other teams... There's, it's simply a case of waiting now, waiting until Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when all the serious football happens. Um, and I'm sure, like all of our listeners, I can't wait. In the time uh, that Jack was speaking to you there, uh, Miguel has just arrived back. As you can hear from him, constantly ringing the door because he's so. I actually, I actually do have to go, do I? It's ridiculous, I know, but um, you can't buzz people in. So Johnny's about to go 14 floors down. Uh, to let Miguel in, um, yeah, by which time I will have uh, <laughs> just turned to shut up. <laughs> I sincerely hope none of you heard the language that Johnny just used. Um, but otherwise, um, as ever, thank you for listening to the podcast, uh, especially if it's on a Saturday because I feel like the listener numbers are going to plummet on a Saturday. But uh, we do appreciate it because, uh, as I say, we. Uh, try our hardest to get it out every day and uh, these days are going to be important the, the round of 16 really starts uh, on Saturday with, with these two big games and we'll be back after those um, we'll probably talk to you from Kazan tomorrow night where Johnny and I will break down the two games we've just seen one in person one on TV uh, we'll try and get Critch in touch with Sochi but he's not currently talking to me uh, so then we'll I guess redress things and look ahead to Sunday where uh, we'll be at Spain v Russia and whatever the other game is, I can't remember. And until then, uh, I've been Abmalian. This has been the Indie Football Podcast. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the other side. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
my guy. You're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.